recently I went back to the message I did last year sometime about a call to fellowship. What we're asking, it, it reminds me of what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, where he you know, said, when Christ calls a man, he calls him to come and die. And it's a, it's a strong calling. It's not just a come and karaoke, it's a come and die to yourself, come and live to Christ, come and live to others. And so our call to fellowship when we're calling, um, when we are coming together, it's not that we're coming together to discourage one another. We actually want to encourage one another. We want to encourage each other to walk in the spirit and to be doing what God has called us to do. And if we as individuals are able to do what Jesus did, because if you think about for a moment about the fact that it's Palm Sunday, Jesus is coming in the triumphal entry. There's a lot of people, Hosanna, Hosanna. You know, it's amazing in that moment. And even his disciples are being somewhat overwhelmed with the popularity of it and everything that's happening. But it was in this moment that when, they, when they, someone came to uh, one of the apostles, uh, the disciples, and they, they brought that person over to, I think it was Philip, and then Philip, they came, or maybe they came to Philip first, I forget the exact account, but they come over to Jesus, and they say, hey, there's someone here that wants to see you. And instead of saying, well, bring them in, let me talk with them, he literally just says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. And it seems so out of context with Hosanna, praise is rising, to just say, well, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies. And yet it is the heart of the gospel, of the fact that we die that Christ might live. Christ died that we might live. And we want to see Christ living in us. And as long as we are alive, as long as we are in charge, then Christ is not able to show forth in us. And so, when we think of Palm Sunday, when we think of Good Friday, when we think of Easter, and we think of this whole week, um, what is fascinating to me is on one hand side, we have the, the, the party element that wants to kind of steal what actually this is all about. And on the other hand side, we have uh, people saying, oh, it's all, it belongs to the pagan gods. It's not even Christian. And yet it is one of the most Christian moments on the calendar is the, the celebration of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I, it, you know, every year I come back around and I want to preach this message about the mistakes that are made in researching history when we tie Easter to the God Ishtar and all of that, because it just doesn't work. Um, our word Easter comes from um, the German word for it in many ways and is actually more of a, it has to do with the, the, the east, the, the, the coming in the east. And so there's, there's more to that um, that we can actually discuss and talk about at our fellowship meal if we want to. But today I am actually looking at Exodus chapter three. And I know that if you were looking at the calendar when I started Exodus, you were like, hey, maybe we can be at Passover by the time we get to Easter. No, that did not happen. We are not at Passover um, we have been inching along, my wife says, very slowly. So I agree with her, but I couldn't get out of chapter two very easily. And so now today we're at chapter three, and I am essaying to read the whole thing, talk about some of the major points, and next week to be in chapter four. So we'll see how that goes. So chapter three of Exodus, we have the burning bush moment. So let's read chapter three, Exodus chapter three. It says, now Moses, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. 
Now, there's two things about this first verse. One is that in Genesis 46, we're told that every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So Moses has been trained in the Egyptian way, and now he comes out to the wilderness and he is a shepherd. And so this is a full and complete ownership of his actual heritage and family. He does belong to the Hebrews. He is a shepherd. When they came in, when the brothers came in to Egypt, Joseph was saying, why? I'm going to talk to Pharaoh about what you do for a living. When he asks you what you do for a living, you just say, we've been about um, livestock all of our days. And just, you know, and, and, and I don't know how you read it. I always read it like there is a, you know, there's the guy who, uh, there's the cowboy who works out with the cows and then there's the cattle baron who lives in the nice house and deals with it. And, and I always get the feeling that he was saying, just tell Pharaoh your cattle barons. Don't tell him you actually get your hands dirty with this. And they were like, we are shepherds. And they didn't lie. They just said it the most humble way possible, the crassest way possible. We're like, we're shepherds. We smell like shepherds, basically. And so now we have Moses coming from the house of Pharaoh and it's only been a few generations. I can't imagine that we have completely changed the culture in Egypt enough to where this is no longer seen as a as something, as a lower job. I, I, it seems to me that in this time that has passed, the culture would still have hung on to this idea so that every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. And yet Moses is here in the wilderness and he's tending the flock. He is a shepherd. And the second part we see here is Horeb, the mountain of God. And, and one of the things that God is going to say at the end of this chapter is that you're going to come back here and you're going to worship the Lord with your people here in Horeb. So let's keep reading uh, Exodus 3, chapter, verse, chapter 3, verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him and from the midst to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. It's interesting when you look at this, there's a burning bush. It's not being consumed. Moses says, I'm going to turn aside and look at this bush. He makes a decision and it seems that God says, Aha, he has decided to come see what's in this bush. And so it says, so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. So it wasn't that God was saying, hey, Moses. And Moses looked and then sees the burning bush. It was he saw the burning bush. And in the midst of the burning bush, he heard the call of God. And so I want to discuss some more later about what is this, this burning bush and what it represents but we have, we have several things. We have Moses saying, I'm going to turn and look aside. So in, in our way of saying that from a human perspective, this is Moses making a decision that he does not fully understand, but it is the one that God intended. So God wanted him to turn aside. God wanted him to draw near, but God sets it up. Moses looks at it and says, I'm going to go over here. And so this is similar to where when God is drawing someone and then that person actually turns and repents, we say they turn from their sin, they repented, but what we're, what we're saying along with it is that, yes, God was at work. God was already at work. He was drawing, and then this person made a decision. And so this, is, this has been one of those very difficult things throughout um, Christendom is to discuss which part does God do, which part do we do. And from a human perspective, there is a decision that you and I make multiple times in our life, and it works 
best if we take full ownership of the decision. And so when we say, I turned aside to look at the burning bush, it's good for us to remember that there was a choice involved, that Moses could have said, you know what? I like being a shepherd. I'm not going to look at that bush. I'm not a firefighter, not going. I'm also not whatever, that's just a little odd. I'm not going over there and he, and he keeps going. It would not be in the Bible if he would have done that, but we have the account what's here and we, and we see that moment of the ownership of Moses where he says, I'm going to turn aside and look at this bush. And God says, aha, he turned aside and calls out to him and says, Moses, Moses. All right, let's keep reading. In verse five, it says, then he said, do not draw near to this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. So this is a, is, is a moment where he's taking off his feet, uh, his sandals off his feet. And this reminds me of later when the priests are called to, to do their service barefoot on a dirt floor. Um, this is like a, a preceding of that. So he comes in, he's coming into the presence of God. So he takes off his sandals and he's coming into the presence of God. It's also interesting to think about in the beginning, in the garden, when you have, the, when you have Adam and Eve and their clothes are being made because of sin, what do they do? They have to kill animals, take the skins and make something. So the, 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 his very shoes of his feet are made out of animal skin. And so he's approaching God with this, the original covering of sin, so to speak, the, the nakedness because of sin. And so God says, take that off. I want you to come close and I want you to have an actual connection with me. So that's just a, an, an interesting side thought of how, why do we, does he take off his feet? We have both the priests that are barefoot on a dirt floor and we have the fact of that he's wearing something that is being made out of the animal skins. So going on to verse six, God says, moreover, uh, or moreover, he, God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. Verse seven. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. So he said, I will certainly be with you and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of our fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. 
Moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together. Say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will heed your voice and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel to the king of Egypt. And you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. So that brings us to the end of chapter three, and, and that's as far as I want to go today. It will continue on, this conversation goes on a little longer, until he starts to go to Egypt, and we'll look at that next week. But what we have here, we have several pieces. One is when Moses comes to the burning bush and he hears the voice of the Lord calling to him, there is such clear instruction and such clear wording and so many details that are given to him so that later when he comes to a difficult place and he says, but what was it I felt back at the burning bush? He doesn't have to go by what he felt. He says, the Lord actually said that I was going to say these things to the elders of Israel, and they're going to respond. And then the king is not going to respond. And then I'm going to do all of these things. And then we're going to leave. And so he has this whole detailed timeline of what is going to happen. And so it's not just based on how did Moses feel when he saw a bush burning in the wilderness, because sometimes we will take something like the burning bush and we will make it become an emotional experience. I am sure that Moses felt emotions at the burning bush, but it was not primarily a, an emotional experience. It was actually a recognition of who God was and it was, a, and it was an instruction to his man of what, who he was. So we have the, the, Moses doesn't say a lot in here. He starts out by saying, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. And then the Lord calls him and Moses says, here I am. So we have Moses saying, I'm here. And then we have this moment where uh, the Lord explains who he is and everything. And at the end of that, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now, this is quite a different I was not expecting to hear this from this particular Moses. If you read back earlier, it seems that he assumes that he can be a deliverer of Israel back in the earlier chapters. He, when he is interacting with the Egyptians, he seems to assume that he has the right to intervene. But now he says, who am I? Who am I to do this? And a little bit later, uh, Moses says to God, but what if I come to the children of Israel and what if they ask, and he asks a simple question. He says, what if they, he asks a very specific question. What if they ask me your name? 
what am I supposed to tell them then? And I, I found that fascinating because he's like, he's not just saying, what shall I say to them? He is saying that, but he's, he's asking a very specific question. What shall I say? And so God goes into detail and he says, I am who I am. But he also says, I'm going to be known by the name that I'm the God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob, and this will be my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. That's in verse 15. And so we have this, 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 name that comes with history for the children of Israel. Because what's going to happen in the next couple of months, when, once we get to the children of Israel actually leaving Egypt and the Red Sea is opened and all of this is happening, then who is God? Well, he's this God of these Israelites over here that part of the Red Sea for them. He's done all of these things for them. And so he's saying, I want the Israelites to first of all know that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The things that happened that I did with their fathers, I'm now about to do with them. And I want them to make that connection that this is the same continuation of the promise that I gave to Abraham, the promise that I gave to Isaac, the promise I gave through Jacob, and now it's a continuation for them. This is a, this is a yes, it's congregational, but it's personal. Any one of these Israelites can actually call out to me and I will recognize them because of my covenant with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now with the whole of Israel. And so he's giving that, that whole picture to them. And we'll see that in continuation because at random times, I say random, at various times through, the, through this next couple of years and through the next 40 years, we will see where someone is suddenly singled out for something very special because they believed the word of God and did what they were supposed to do. And they actually assumed, like we have Joshua who gets to go with Moses to the tabernacle and other places, and he has an option. He can either stay there in the presence of God, or he can go back to the tent. And he says, actually, I would rather stay here. And so we find the young man, Joshua, pursuing God so that when he is sent in as one of the spies, he is not easily swayed by what's happening out there because he's been in the presence of God. And so we see this, that Joshua, it could have been any one of these other people, but it was the ones who made a decision. So when we see the ones who, uh, you know, at various times we see this. And so this is one of the beautiful things about our relationship with God is that there are times, you know, and I, I think of um, David and Goliath sometimes in this context, there are so many people that were standing there watching that were hearing what, the, what Goliath was saying, and any one of them could have one day said, wait a minute, he's saying things about God. He shouldn't be saying that. That's wrong, and that's not okay. I'm, no, and they could have put on their armor or whatever and gone out in the name of the Lord, and they could have won the day because it wasn't about the person. In our case, it was David, and it showed us his heart. And so there are other people that have the same opportunity of having a right heart before God. And so it's not always a completely, uh, so totally scripted that there's no human involvement. There is a, there's a certain amount of God running his eyes to and fro over the whole earth saying, who, who is listening to my heart? Who is going to obey what I have to say? Who is going to do what I have called? And as we do that, the will of the Lord becomes apparent and the miracles of God become evident. So in today's moment, we have Moses turning aside, looking at this bush. Moses, God calls him. Moses answers, here I am. 
He is barefoot on a dirt floor. He is close to his creator. He's in the presence of God. God identifies himself, explains the mission. And here we have the question, who am I? And in answer to the question, who am I that I should go? God doesn't just say, well, you are Moses. You were saved from death and put into the river and, and then you were uh, raised in, in, he doesn't say anything about Moses, except I'm with you. And then he talks about who he is, who is God. He's given us the picture of who he is. And he says, I, I am God and I'm with you. And this is an important moment for any one of us is when we're asking the question, who am I? And we start launching out to try to find ourselves because this is not only popular in Hollywood, this is popular in American Christianity is to try to understand the question, who am I? And it's necessary. I myself remember specific times in my life where I had to ask that question, who am I? What makes me presume to do the things that I was doing? Why did I think that I could do this thing? And it's a good question to ask. Why do I think that I can do these things? And the answer is from the Lord himself, I will certainly be with you. And it, the second part of the sign is this will be a sign to you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, this is the problem for me with this sign is that it's not a sign right now. It's not a sign like when you get to Egypt. No, he says, when you have successfully done the thing that I'm sending you to do, then you'll know I was with you. Well, thank you, Lord. That's encouraging. So, so he's not saying, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. Now we see later that there's multiple times that he is with him and he sees, he prays, he hears from God, but he's actually saying the way you will know that you'll be successful is when you are successful. And this reminds me a number of years ago, we were down, uh, I was down in Texas with some of the pastors there and we were going around the circle and they were asking, you know, how can we pray for you? So I asked something simple. I said, I want more of the anointing of the Lord. And this precipitated this whole thing. Like suddenly like we pray. Well, actually, I don't think we prayed right away. I think Pastor Philip got out his Bible and said, well, let me just show you something. And so he goes over there where Jesus says, behold, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, where he's reading. And he goes through all of that stuff. And then he reads that. And then he looks at all of us and says, so how, how do we know that the spirit of God was on Jesus? Like, did he? And we're all, I'm just sitting there like, I don't know. Like, (laughs) you're asking me a question as if there was an answer and, I'm not sure what you're getting at and I don't know. And, you know, and, and so you, I went through my mind. I'm like, okay, so, because I was beginning to catch on because I'm asking for more of the anointing, right? And the way we know that Jesus had the anointing to go preach the gospel to the, to the poor is because he went and did it. It doesn't say that suddenly Jesus felt the presence of God. It doesn't say that he sensed a greater anointing. It doesn't say that when I read that, I always am like, wow, those are like deep words of theological truth. That's amazing. But the sense of something happening, I don't see it there. I don't see, it doesn't talk about Jesus' emotions. It doesn't talk about what he felt. It doesn't talk, you know, there are other times where there's a mighty wind. There's times when there's flames. There's times when the place is shaken where they're praying. But in this moment, there's nothing. 
except for the fact that Jesus leaves that and goes out and he is doing the things that God has called him to do. So how do we know if we have the anointing? It's if we're doing it. How does Moses know that he is, God is with him? It's because he's going to go and be successful and come back to this mountain and worship God again here. And so as I was thinking about that, and that was what Pastor Philip was, was trying to show me, he's like, you know, if you really want the anointing, go do it. Go obey what God has called you to do. And honestly, I don't like that answer because I prefer having a very strong sense of presence of God with me. I prefer having a very strong aura, like where I, I just feel God with me. I prefer having people crying out to the Lord and laying hands on me, and I just, I don't know, I just feel equipped somehow. I want that boldness, I want that. I don't like the answer that if God has called you to do it, then go do it. It's too simplistic, it sounds too much like old-fashioned obedience, and I live in the era of grace, I don't want obedience, I want something else. And yet, in the kingdom economy, that is actually one of the beautiful things is that there is power in our obedience. When we look at the word of God and we say, wow, okay, I guess this is what we're supposed to do, and we just do it, the spirit of God is present. And so I find this just absolutely fascinating because I have spent the time on my face before God saying, Lord, who do you say that I am? And I needed to know, I needed to understand. And what I finally heard after my weeks of praying and seeking the word of God and reading and praying and seeking the Lord's presence, what I felt like I finally heard was like, because I was saying, Lord, I know what people have said about me. I don't, I, I don't like what they have said. I feel I don't feel like I'm experienced, I'm not qualified, and now I'm having people saying that I am insufficient and I feel insufficient, and so what am I supposed to do with all of this? And in the middle of that, finally, what came to me slowly was this, well, who, whose voice did I hear calling me to follow Jesus? It was God's idea to call me into his kingdom because he was the one, just like with Moses. When Moses turns over, he hears the voice of God saying, Moses, Moses. So who's calling Moses? It's God. So it's his idea. So one of the answers is, who am I? Well, you're the one that I called. If God did the calling, and if God is the one who said, I, I would like for you to walk here, then he is with me, correct? And I can trust that he will be with me. And then I can do what he has called me to do. And the way I will know that he is with me is because I'm being successful in what he has called me to do. And when he says, what shall I say? to them. He says, tell them that I am sent you. Now, when I read through this, one of the first things I thought about was, this is beautiful. God gives very, very clear instruction. I would love it when I receive my instruction from God that I would have that clear of a detail. This is very clear detail. 
I mean, it goes all the way to the time the night before when they're leaving or the day before they're leaving and the women are asking of their neighbors for the jewelry. Like later, this is what happens. That's actually what happens. And so how do we know this is what from the Lord? Because this is what happens. And so we see this and we see Moses then walking in obedience. And I love how God just says, um, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in their midst. It's that short and simple here. And then later we see it all expanded out. And it's like all of these things that God can do. And so I have a, as I'm looking at this, one of the thoughts that I had in looking at that was I was just a a tiny bit jealous of Moses of going, okay, Moses, you've got such clear instruction. And as I was saying that, I suddenly said, what am I saying? I've got not only the spirit of God and the voice of God calling to me, but I've got all of this. And it's actually <laughs> like, you can actually diagram these sentences. Like they they actually make sense. And it's the instruction of like, I, I was reading Colossians in Colossians chapter three. And actually, um, well, I only want to read specifically, there's a lot of real uh, clear instruction in Colossians, but like, in Colossians chapter three, there is this moment where, well, let's just read from verse one down to verse four or five. Okay, verse one, Colossians three, verse one. It says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. That's actually pretty clear instruction. And it's to me, because I'm one of those people who have been raised with Christ. Verse two, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Verse three, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Okay, that's pretty awesome. Who am I? I am the one who Christ has called. And actually my life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse four, it says, when Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to be put off, to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And it continues. If you read not just this, but there's so much in the scripture in the New Testament, especially where it's talking specifically to me as a born again believer in Jesus Christ. And it's very clearly spelled out what I am to do. See, I would actually be a little more comfortable if, if I was given some assignment. Well, I say I'd be more comfortable. I'd probably be terrified. Like right now, if you told me go to Egypt, I'm like, no, I'm not going to Egypt. What? And, and yet at the same time, this is what Moses was getting. He was getting very clear instruction. Go talk to Pharaoh. Go talk to the king and say, stop oppressing these people. Okay, so, so, so what if, in a, in a very real sense, like what if, if, if this is my assignment, how do I go do that? If I go, okay, I'm gonna stop, I have to go tell them, stop oppressing this, uh, uh, someone. Well, who wants to go? When's, if someone is an oppressor, like do I wanna go to Putin and say, stop oppressing people? Do I have that in me? Do I wanna go over to Afghanistan and talk to the leaders of the, of the, the Muslim sects that are there? Do I wanna go tell them, stop oppressing these people? 
And yet this is what Moses was being told to do. So yes, he had clarity. Yes, he was told to go. And it makes a lot of sense that, he's, that he asked the question, who am I? Why, what makes, Lord, what makes you think that I have, like, really? Like, you know me better than anyone else. And yet he says, because I'm with you. And it was my idea, actually. I'm the one who called you. I'm the one who put the burning bush here. And I called you. And so this is a very important moment for us. A very important question is to ask that question, who am I? But to understand that we have been given very clear instruction. And a lot of times it's simple. Stop lying. Stop blaspheming God. Stop. It's just a whole bunch of how we are to love our neighbor, how we're to interact, how, what we're supposed to do with the Lord. And it's very basic and very simple. And yet it's very powerful. And so there will be times when you'll be very specifically called to go do something and you better do that. We need to do those things. And so when we are praying and we're seeking the Lord's face, there are times when in a spiritual sense, I feel like there's a burning bush in the room. I'm like, Lord, I just, I really need to hear from you about this. I don't understand what's going on, yet I sense your presence here. And so I draw near to the Lord and I'm making myself available so that if he is wanting to call me to go do something different or to do something else, something that I hadn't even thought of up until this point, or maybe it's something that I thought maybe one day I'd have to do, I will come to that point and I'll say, okay, it's time and I'll go do that. There are a few other things as I was thinking about this because we have the amazing detail. We've been given amazing detail. There's a question, who am I? And we have the similar question because the answer really is, well, who is God? Because he's the one who's sending us. He's the one who's calling us. He's the one who's sending us. He's the one whose idea it was that we as mere humans could actually serve him. It was his idea that we could do this. So who I am in the context of God is the most important thing about us. Now, I wanted to just go back to the burning bush for a minute and just, just contemplate this. What is the burning bush and what does it mean to us? Now, we can, we can look at this several different ways, but one of the things, uh, because sometimes we try to see all the, the three parts of God in the bush, uh, because we have the fire, we have the bush, we have the voice speaking, we have the presence, the holiness of God, it's all there. But on a very basic, and this was, this was fascinating to me, I was reading some of the early uh, church fathers and they all just started writing about how there's this thorn bush, there's this thorn bush, there's this thorn bush. And I went looking, I'm like, I can't see that it's a thorn bush. In English, I don't notice that it's a thorn bush. But they said it was a thorn bush. They just kept saying it. So I'm like, okay, well, let's just say that it was a thorn bush. Then I started thinking too, okay, Moses is in the wilderness. He's trying to feed his sheep and this is a bush. And so there's not that many bushes that are this the great feed for your sheep. There's other things that are better food for your sheep than a bush. And so you have this, so if you want to go with the thorn bush idea, you get this, you get this, this is something that came as a result of sin. So now, now I'm talking about the brokenness of the world that is entering into the very, my work that I'm doing. So I have a bush that's in the middle of my work. I have a, uh, so if, if we're going to call it a thorn bush, I would say I have a thorn bush growing in the middle of what God has called me to do or, the, or my vocation, the work that I'm doing with my hands. And as I'm trying to do this, suddenly I see the thing is on fire, but it's not being burned up all the way. It's not being taken. So if, I, if I'm looking at it from this aspect, I have the presence of God in fire, but it's not removing the thorn bush from my vocation but God is trying to tell me something here. So this is one, one way of looking at it, right? And so I, get, I come close and I realize that even here in the midst of my work, the field that I was working in, and in, with this thorn bush that is now on fire, usually if I tell you, you know, that things kind of caught fire at work, like it's not, you don't think, ah, yes, that's good. You know, <laughs> you, you think, oh, what? Yes, you know, uh, we had a, 
What, what is that? I remember this was very accurate, but we didn't know how accurate. Back in 2019, someone had made that little video and how that was the changing of the years and how as we get to the end of the year, uh, 2019 was, was signing off their shift and 2020 was coming in. And as they come into the office for 2020, they look over and there's just a fire in a, in a, in a waste paper can. And 2020 is like, what is that? And 2019 is, oh yeah, there is that. Good luck and leaves, you know? And so we, we start the year with a, with a fire in a, in a waste paper can. And, and then we, we, we had other problems, right? And so we sometimes say, well, it was a dumpster fire. You know, it's just, it was a disaster. And so if you think about fire in that way, because fire has a different presence, uh, a different pictures that it, that it rep, what it represents in the Bible. In Hebrews, we're told that fire, you know, or that our God is a consuming fire. And so we see this, see this, he's a consuming fire is what Hebrews said, but here he's not consuming the thing. He's leaving it there. So let's say that I'm in my field of work and I have these bushes of thorns and then s- s- the presence of God is there on the thorns and I'm like, okay, Lord, consume it, take it out of here. And he doesn't actually take it out. It doesn't consume. It just stays there. So now I come close and I say, okay, Lord, why are you present here in the place the curse meets my work and you're present here, but you're not removing the curse entirely? What's going on? Why aren't you doing this? And so when I ask the question, then God is able to speak to me about my calling and give me instruction of what I'm to do. So that was one picture that was given uh, that, I, that I found in uh, early uh, other Christians talking about it. Uh, they just assumed that it was a thorn bush. This morning uh, at 4 a.m., I was coming back from the airport and I was just contemplating about this. And I, I had another picture of this and it is something, it goes something like this. There are times when we have a dream or a vision or a calling where we think God has asked me to do something very specifically. And as we're doing this very specific thing, then suddenly we have the fire where it seems as if Everything is on fire and it's not working. So I have a dream and I'm, it's on fire now and it's not functioning. And so you think, well, good, it's on fire. Let the bush be burned away. I'll go do something else. But it doesn't consume. It just stays there and it stays on fire. And so at that point, this is a point where I as an individual, if I, if I can apply this to me, because I don't know really what the burning bush moment is in our lives exactly, but it has something to do with the presence of God showing up with a dist- what appears to be a destructive force that is not destroying things all the way. So if I have a vision and a dream and a calling that I say, God has called me to do this thing, so I'm doing this thing, and then suddenly the whole thing's on fire, and then I'm looking at it going, okay, Lord, so I guess you want me to do something else. And he says, but it's not being consumed. It's just on fire. And in that moment, I'm supposed to hear the voice of the Lord. I need to say, well, what are you saying, Lord? The whole thing's on fire now. My dreams, my vision, my calling, it all seems to be on fire, but it's, it's not gone. It's still here. It's still, I still have to do this, but it's on fire. What do you want to do with this, Lord? And in that, somehow, I should be able to hear the voice of the Lord. So I don't have any super clear pictures of what we, I've read several different ones, but I wanted to mention these two. is because, and, and specifically, this wasn't Moses 
leaving the sheep and going into town and walking by a temple, a Midianite temple where his father-in-law is the priest, and suddenly he hears the voice of the Lord. It was Moses going about his daily rhythm, doing what he normally does. Suddenly he says, wait a minute, there's a fire over there, but it's not burning the bush. Interesting. I'm going to go see what this is. And so he goes closer and he hears the voice of the Lord. And it is a holy moment where God is instructing him, redirecting him, sending him back into the world that he escaped from. So if you think of Egypt as being the, the symbol of the world, well, that's where he's being sent to. He's spent a lot of time away from the world recently, and now he's being sent back into the world. And what's he going to do? He's going to go tell the other believers there. He says, come, we, God is going to keep his promises now. The fullness of time has arrived. The 400 years that he told Abraham is finished. We're leaving, and we're going to go to the promised land. Well, how will they believe me? Well, you have to tell them that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent them. And so he, he is being given all of this. He's being instructed. And, I, and, and then he said, well, how will I know? Uh, who am I that I should go? And he says, well, I will go with you and you will know this is, shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. When you come back here with the people, then you'll know that I was with you. But I'm going to be with you. And so who am I? This is a question that I think we can all ask, but we need to be careful how we go about looking for the answer. Because if we look within and we're just trying to see who we are, who, what we have, what our strengths are, what, what we are, and we forget the fact that we are created by God, we can go down a wrong path. If we're looking for my, our own strength, if we're looking for our own ability, if we're looking for who we are in that way, if we're trying to find out only where my own pleasure lies, we can go down a wrong path. And so we don't want to go down the wrong path. We want to go down the correct path and find ourselves for who we are hidden with Christ in God. And see, once I am now looking at it from this lens and I understand that I was created for a purpose, then I can say, well, what, what am I able to do? What are my skills? What are my likes and dislikes? What are all of these things? Well, we find in Moses, he was created for this moment. He had some clarity of sight because, you know, God is speaking to him from a bush. He doesn't go, oh, yay, let's go and run off willy-nilly. He has some accurate questions. He has some very serious issues that he's like, I don't know how this is actually going to work. Because when I was in Egypt last, the Hebrews themselves said, who do you think you are? So who am I, Lord? And how, what am I going to tell them? Because the Hebrews have to believe me. I am not a leader just because I think I'm a leader. I'm only a leader if they will follow me out of Egypt. And so who am I, Lord? Why should I go? Not only to Pharaoh, but I have to go bring these, the children of Israel out of Egypt. And what am I going to say to them? So he's asking accurate questions. God has the right man in the right place. And he's asking the right questions. And this is true for you as well. You're in the right place. When there's a question that's in your heart, you will probably need some sort of an answer to that question before you can move out into the next phase of your life. And maybe the answer to your question is God saying, well, I'm going to be with you. And the way you will know that you've been anointed to do this is when you go and you are doing it, then you will know that I'm with you. And I don't like that answer because it has way too much of me going, okay, Lord, let me go try preaching the gospel to the poor and the brokenhearted. Let me see if I can preach freedom to the captives. Can I do this? How do I do this? 
But in the going, not only will I find other people like Aaron who will come with me and then help me, but I will also find that I have success and the word of God will be proven over and over again and my faith will grow and eventually I will be successful in doing this thing that God is calling me to do. So that is, there are a lot of other things we could actually talk about, even in what the burning bush is, in the, the, uh, the way God calls us, and the way God is calling himself here. There is, there is much that we could dig into, and I think we should read this, meditate on it, think about this, and, just, and, and ask this, like, have you experienced this burning bush moment where God is calling you to something? You, didn't, you thought you were just curiously looking at something, and suddenly it's turning into something, you know, this is like when either you're at a conference or something and someone plays a little video, you're like, oh, that's interesting. And so you're watching and next thing you know, you're like, oh, and your heart is stirred and you realize God wants you to do something about the conditions somewhere else. And suddenly your life is on a whole different trajectory. And I think of my friend Jack Jarvis, who his daughter was like, wanting to be a chalk artist, she thought it'd be fun, so she becomes a chalk artist. So then she had an opportunity to go down to Mexico and actually uh, uh, do this. And so her dad was like, well, you're not going down there by yourself. So he goes along. And then they're down there, and next thing you know, he's quitting his job in the computer world and is serving at the, at the he, w- he worked down there for years at the Bearing Precious Seed mis- mission in El Paso. All because... He said, I'm I'm going with you. You're not going by yourself. He made a decision, you would say, and yet it was a God decision and it was God was in it. And once you see him, you know, you look, okay, what's a, what's a, a a guy from Minnesota who works in computer tech world, what's he going to do in Mexico? Like, how is he going? And then you see him at work there. You see him functioning there and you say, oh, that's how. The way we know that God called him is because he went and did it and God was with him. And so this is not totally your call, the, 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 uh, the confidence builder that you might want of saying, oh, how do I? Because there might be a question in your heart right now that you're asking that has something to do with who am I or what should I say or how should I go? Are you talking to me, Lord? And it might be this question and God is wanting to answer it by saying, I'm with you, go. And we are to read the word of God We are to understand the details of the instruction. We are to represent Christ. We are to, everything that we have learned about Christ, we are to preach those things to the people that we meet in however it is that we are able to make disciples. That's how we're supposed to do it. And the way we know that we're we're doing this is we're going to be, God is going to be with us and we will be successful. We might have to go through quite a time in Egypt, but we'll come back to this mountain, and we will worship the Lord. So hopefully these thoughts are of some encouragement to you. I am grateful that we get to, um, to read through this from this perspective where we're not looking, we're not stuck in the middle of having to make the decisions ourselves. We are not Moses, but we get to read the account of Moses and see what happened. Who am I? I'm the one whom Jesus loved. I'm the one whom Jesus died for. I'm the one who has been called by God, to follow him. It was his idea. I'm the one who has responded to Christ. I'm the one who doesn't have all the answers, but it's okay because God is with me. And how do I know that he's with me? 
because when I read his word and walk with him, he enables me to walk in righteousness. Who am I? I am the one who drew near, but I had to take off my shoes and come into his presence. And I had to hear from him who he was. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's also the creator of the universe. And he's my savior and the captain of my salvation. Who am I? I am the one that for reasons unknown to me, God thought worthy to save and to send me to live among the people in my community. He thought it good to call me, to separate me out, to send me, to live for him. Not to Egypt or some far off land, but to my own community. Who are we? We are the people of God that he has redeemed. The Lord has redeemed us. And so when I think of, of Jesus standing or riding into town, hearing everyone saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And he knows what's coming later this week. He knows what's coming. The people don't know what's coming, but he does. And as he's hearing that, and as he's experiencing that, suddenly I understand that I will spend the rest of my days walking in a place where I'm interacting with people. And on one hand side, I am aware of the brokenness that's in the world. And I'm aware of the grief that, is, that can so easily come to us. But on the other hand side, I hear the words, Hosanna, Hosanna the highest. And I recognize that is the truth. And so for the rest of our life, who are we? We're the people of God who stand with bare feet on a dirt floor and it's broken and we know it, but God is God and he is able and he has called us and he has redeemed us and we're his people. That's who we are and we identify with him. And so when we're looking at our callings, when we're looking at obeying him, when we're even looking at what we as a fellowship are supposed to be doing, this is the question we're asking, Lord, who am I? Why am I here? What am I going to say? What's God going to tell us? Part of what he tells us is, I am with you even to the end of the age. He's with us. And if God is with us, that's, the, that's a huge answer to our question. So if God is with me, then I'm going to obey. I'm going to do the simple, basic things that are sometimes so hard. I am going to love my neighbor. I'm going to love my family. I'm going to let the law of kindness speak in my heart. I'm going to share the gospel when opportunity presents itself. I'm going to rejoice in my salvation. I'm going to count all things as loss that I might attain Christ. I'm going to be reminded daily that I'm hidden with Christ in God. And as we go and we exult and walk in who God is and we serve him, then it will become clear who we are. We are the people of God, the ones who've been called apart to walk with him. We've been in his presence and it didn't always feel or look the way we thought it would. But there is a God in heaven and we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Amen.